welcome. It's time for another. Diane's Kamikaze Fun Machine podcast. My guest today is Captain Sensible. Yes. How exciting. He's a lot of fun. You will find out all types of interesting things about him, about uh, damned members in the past. And hear that he is really an overall nice guy. Yay. Follow my Twitter posts and Instagram posts at Diane Kamikaze. That is one word, D-I-A-N-E-K-A-M-I-K-A-Z-E. Thanks to Liz Berg for putting this podcast up. And away we go. Here's the captain. I am very pleased to welcome my, uh, my esteemed guest, Captain Sensible of The Damned, of course. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Hello. How you doing? <laughs> We're celebrating, and um, The Damned is coming over to the stage to do some gigs. And, of course, it is the 40th anniversary of the re- release of New Rose. How does all the, the sort of the celebration of punk now strike you 40 years later? I know there was a British Library punk exhibition. There was, yeah, yeah. Well, if you feel like a bit of a museum piece, to be quite honest. But I, I do remember um, certainly no Elvis Beatles and Rolling Stones in 1977. So, I mean, the Rolling Stones are still with us, aren't they? So um, you, you feel a, a blow like carry on to the bitter end, really. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are coming over to do some shows in L.A., and uh, in New York, very, very soon, you're doing a, um Are you playing, I know when you were doing your British shows, you were playing all of the first album? Yeah. Um, they've got us playing this extremely long set, uh, which, uh, a career-spanning retrospective, I think they've built it as. Mm. So, uh, so there's been a lot of kind of um, relearning of songs that you haven't played for blooming years, you know. Oh. Um, it's going to be, uh, but it's, it, it goes right across, you know, from the start to the finish. And uh, and it's really fun, you know, because um, we, we end up playing some, you know, some quite intricate tunes, um, which gives us a workout, really, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Was it it's and, so? Um, yes, and we've got a trumpet player as well. Oh, really? Um, he gets a chance to uh, to embellish Eloise and uh, Twisted Nerve and uh, what's the other ones? Something uh, off a six or seventy plays. Something on, off yeah. of Strawberries, really right? I think. Yeah, so. I can hear the beginning. It'll come to me on the day. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Well, it'll come to him at least. So, so he'll be there when he needs to. That's that is uh, that's awesome. And then I see that when you're as soon as you go home, pretty much you're doing a UK tour also. Yeah, it's really nice to um, to, to have this resurgence of interest. You know, I mean, we've been we've been going forty years, which is like remarkable, really, because you didn't expect it to last more than a few weeks with the volatile characters in the band. 
you know, I mean, uh, Brian and Rat and Dave, uh, well, and, and myself, I suppose, they're fairly, you know, up, upbeat characters. And, um, I mean, making the albums was uh, was not easy, I have to say. Uh, you know, there's some good old rows and the occasional punch-up. <laughs> but, um, but they all sound different, the records, and um, they've all got their own flavour. And uh, so, so out of all that chaos and, and everything, we left behind some quite good music. I don't know how we did it, really. And, and looking back, when you made that first record, you said, like, your outlook, you didn't know what was going to happen that week. Is there a different way when you're writing music when you really don't care and then after a while and you've been in a band for years, is there a particular way that you look at music differently? What's the, the difference between 1976 and now? Well, it's, um, I just look upon it all as being a, a great musical adventure, you know, from the start when we were doing um, short, sharp, shock kind of songs, um, about two minutes long and, uh, you know, get your point over quick. And it, it was kind of like a... a a blitzkrieg from the stage. You know, people used to say, you know, oh, you know, I thought you were going to play so and so and song, you know, and and I tell them, yeah, well, we did, and because it, it's kind of our gigs were a blur in those days. They didn't, um, yeah, but um, but we didn't like to repeat ourselves. So each album takes on its own kind of sound, really. And uh, but I, I, if you sit down and try and write raunchy songs, it often s- turns out to be quite, quite a uh, kind of sad, kind of slow song. So or, or vice versa. So it's just whatever happens, really. I, I mean, we, unlike some bands, <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. Um, we've never done anything with a view to commerciality. You know, it's not. Um, isn't no no one ever suggests oh this might be a hit record or anything mm-hmm. you just you just uh you just do whatever whatever you want whatever you i mean the record, not even the record companies had a look in you know they'd come down the studio at the end of the recording sessions they weren't allowed in before then and it, i mean the remarkable times really to be in a band because you it was kind of a golden era really they let you do whatever you wanted. I mean, no no band in the world would ever get into a recording studio now, you know, and do whatever they wanted. I mean, it's just not allowed. Right. But in those days, when, when there was, you know, record, record companies took risks. I mean, they were taking a risk with us because, you know, I mean, we might have wrecked the studio or, well, in fact, I think we did a couple of times. <laughs> um, but, you know, it might have all imploded uh, and... So they spent, you know, a vast amount of money, and they didn't even end up with a record at the end. So, but um, so so they were great days, and um, I remember like the all night sessions, um, till like sort of you know till the pubs opened the next day. Then you go down there and have some lunch and and a few pints, and you come back and start all over again. I don't think we ever got any sleep. It was uh, that it was that sort of thing, really. Mm. Is there any record in your career that's as close to a concept record, or or what was the best planned out record that you were ever involved in? Oh well, um, Dave started uh, really taking um, control 
in the run-up to uh, the Black Album, and that's really his baby. Mm. Um, you know, I, I didn't really see it coming, but all of a sudden there were kind of really kind of dark lyrics, and it was kind of, you know, proto-goth stuff. And, um, yeah, that album's really uh, got a flavour all of its own. Um, there's some great tunes on there I'm looking forward to playing uh, in, a, in, a, in a week or so. Oh, yeah. What's the, the biggest venue that you guys have ever played? Oh, um, that's a really good question. Oh, I mean, we've done some yeah, reasonable-sized gigs, but, you know, some of the festivals you play are, are just massive. Oh, yes. Um, I think we did, uh, was it Coachella? And mm. um, um, what was that other one called? Ink and Iron. That was pretty good fun. Down by the uh, the Queen Mary. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Um, and where else? Yeah, we did that uh, Warp Festival, Warp Tour. Yeah, that was good fun too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you when they threw the names of the bands into a hat and like uh, as they pulled them out, you know, you would uh, the first band out of the hat would be the top of the bill, and the second one would be you know, and it and carry, like that. So you know, the headline the headline act you know, might have gone on first or, you know, some of the smaller acts might have gone on last. So it was really democratic. Oh, uh, that's walk, neat. The Warp Tour, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that one. Oh, cool. I know you're doing two days in New York at the Gramercy and then you've got an L.A. gig also. When you, uh, when New Rose came out, how, how good of a musician were you? <laughs> well, I remember, um, you know, the bloke from Stiff Records used to say, you've got a journalist coming round uh, this afternoon, hide your Hendrix albums, Captain. So, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I used to practice and practice, and you know, me Hendrix licks and everything. And, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I haven't got, a, you know, 1% of the talent he had, but, you know, I could play a few uh, impersonations of the bloke. And, uh, and, you know, of course, when punk came along, nobody wanted guitar solos anymore. So I, and I joined the band anyway as a bass player because Brian was phenomenal, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I, you know, I could play a bit, but you uh, was it was it was really strange because uh, it was supposed to be some kind of you know year zero, uh, nineteen seventy-seven, and you um, pretend that uh, you hated everything that ever happened before, you know. Um, but I like the kinks and the move and the small faces and Jimi Hendrix and, you know, Soft Machine and all those other bands. I, I thought they were brilliant. Oh, there, were some, there was some boring, boring stuff. It, it was just excessive kind of rock kind of um, nonsense, like, um, you know, 20-minute drum solos and songs about wizards and pixies and... I mean, uh, yes, and Genesis spring to mind. Yeah, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, they, uh, that sort of thing. You know, it was just getting over the top. Yes. And for a bloke living on a council estate, um, you, you just couldn't relate to the to the songs or the lyrics. What's a, the lyrics were. What's a council estate? Yeah. Oh, it's um, it's a, a council built it's, uh, um, housing estate for um, for uh, working class families oh got it okay um you know and a lot of uh i mean i was you know unemployed and you know and it's a class-ridden society in britain it's, it still is to a certain extent mm -hmm. and 
um, you know, all we ever wanted was to break out of that and try and make something of ourselves. And that's what that's what punk is, really. You, you're trying to kind of, you know, make something special out of, you know... I mean, we were considered to be um, cannon fodder or, like, sort of, you know... Literally, uh, they were uh, trying to get me to join the army and stuff like that because I, I didn't have, um, you know, a great roster of... Uh, um, qualif- uh, school qualifications so that's the council estate thing council estate filled with eight going to end it now before it's too late <laughs> and I hear you saying that punk obviously was, was formed as a backlash against sort of arena rock and idolizing people because there was there was no relatedness there and the the one thing that I always found interesting about the dam was that even though you were really the first punk band or you know very influential in transforming music and introducing punk or being in that wave, you were not a political band. Um, well, the first couple of albums, uh, Brian uh, was uh, writing the material, <coughs> and he was, uh, I think he wrote, yeah, he, did, he wrote a song called Politics, which was, mm. you know, it, it, where he said exactly what you said, but you know, um, I, I do, I do believe that you know you should say what you think on uh, in in your lyrics. I mean, there's nothing that bores me more than a you know um, a song that has a lyric that doesn't mean anything. You know, like cut and paste lyrics, right. or uh, you know something something that sounds good that doesn't actually say anything whatsoever. I mean, there's, there's bands that have done that, uh, some very famous ones as well. And I think that's a complete waste because if you've got an audience, you know, who are, who are listening to these songs, you, you know, you, you're actually talking to people, and it's kind of really wasted opportunity to put together some nonsensical lyric. So yeah, I write, I do write the um, political song. Yeah, I don't don't see why not. I mean, there's plenty of um, subjects for uh, topics, isn't there? Really, yes, yes. especially at the moment with, the, you oh. know, the lunatics who are running for office. <laughs> Is the uh, is the blah party still active? I would do it, yeah, but no, it's not. It's not running anymore. That was uh, that was while Tony Blair was in power, and uh, it was either, you know, I started my own political party basically because I, that that lying swine kept appearing on the television, you know, talking about like sort of you know uh, Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I could tell he was lying, and most of the Britain could tell he was lying, but you know rather than you know put a brick through the TV screen, I, I went out and uh, started a, a kind of an anti-politics political party, which was basically saying that whatever you vote, nothing changes really because. Uh, well, it doesn't. I mean, look, you know, I'm, I've got to a ripe old age now, and I've, I have voted in elections, and I've really been hopeful that something might change, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you might have done o- over in the States with Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you think, hold on a second, the wars are still going on, you know. It's, it, it just seems as though nothing's really changed since the last lot was in, you know. Right. So, um, so that's what the Blah Party was. It was basically saying, blah, 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 heard it all before, <laughs> won't, get fooled, won't get fooled again. It, so that was, that was that anyway. So it wasn't built off of Lord Such's raving monster loony party? Yeah, there was a uh, tip of the hat to him, yeah. He was, he was absolutely brilliant, <laughs> Lord Such. Yeah, there's nothing politicians hate more than uh, 
than people who take the piss out of them. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're standing next to a politician, I mean, they're wearing their sober suit and everything, you know, lying through their teeth. And then there's a screaming Lord Such standing next to him in a, you know, a bright kind of yellow uh, suit with a top hat and a big pink rosette on it. Yes. You know, like sort of, um, you know, pulling faces at the politician. That, That really brings... Uh, they absolutely hate that, which is why it's so wonderful to do it. <laughs> You've always been the man with the smile, the one who looks like he's having the most fun. <laughs> um, and, the, you know, you're like a you're a great entertainer. And I read it. it is written that you came up with a persona of the captain it, at your like second damn show. Was there a um, was there a particular process or a reason? <laughs> Well, I, I, I can't remember um, any particular, you know, it, it just, well, I just remember, um, you know, if the, however outlandish I behave on stage, that was, you know, I, I would be the one with the photograph in the um, music papers the next week, uh, rather than like, so, you know, Dave is obviously more suave and sophisticated than I am. And, you know, um, Brian's, you know, he had his, and, and Rat. So I was basically fighting against three other kind of forceful personalities to, uh, mm-hmm. to, get, any, to get any column inches. And I've, I'm an egomaniac as well, the same as the rest of them, you know. So uh, the more crazy the outfits I, I wore, the, um, you know, the more um, press I got and the, and the less the others got. It's doggy, doggy in the damned, I tell you. Um, so that's where, it, that's where it basically came from. Plus, you know, I always made a point of never, ever leaving one beer in the dressing room. I mean, it, I could not <laughs> believe it when uh, I found out when I joined the band and all the beer was free. I mean, I just, and you get paid as well. <laughs> I mean, it's the, ulti- the ultimate job, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'd drink all the beer, I'd wear crazy clothes, and I'd behave like a complete buffoon, you know. And hopefully play some of the right notes at the right time, you know. But sometimes not. So it doesn't matter, does it? It's punk rock. Exactly. At that point, you're creating as much as a spectacle. And, uh, you know, once you start getting audience participation and people just getting so energetic and excited, it's not like a punk crowd stands there and just, you know, watches and, you know, listen, oh, listen to that intonation. It's, it's about, you know, creating frenzy. It is. The punk rock thing is, is really, uh, it's, it's a live spectacle. Um, it's really, and and the albums are really quite separate, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't see what I tell you. What there's a lot of bands nowadays who I, I go and watch bands all the time, and there's a real trend at the moment for perfection, you know. So much so that you get a band playing at a festival, the, the drummer's got his headphones on. You think, ah, uh-uh, what's going on there? And he's listening to a click track because he's actually playing. He's jamming along with the band's latest. CD, and which is being mixed in as they play. So you think, wow, that band sounded really good. You know, they they really got it spot on. And you know, but any musicians in the audience who you know they know, I didn't actually see anyone playing an acoustic guitar. Where were those backing vocals from? What's going on here? You think, ah, they're cheating, right? Okay, you know, because the next band who goes on and, and doesn't cheat, you think, oh, they sounded a bit rough. Well, they sounded rough because they weren't cheating. So, um, but we we never cheat, you know. That's there's no choreography with the band or anything like that. The live thing should be live. I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. 
Well, and the instances that you're citing really sound like four individuals instead of a band. You know, like the drummer trying to get his stuff right, but only in his head, in his world. I think, you know, about one of the successful things about The Damned is that your records are all so different. And there's so much experimentation with, you know, with sounds, with, you know, psychedelic and, and goth and rock. I mean, you're willing to experiment. And I'm sure that there's, you know, moments where somebody's writing credit is, is heavier on this song. It always seemed like it was democratic or, or chaotic. I don't know if those words are really interchangeable, but the feeling that the fan, I think, has always gotten from The Damned is that you're always, you know, shooting from from the hip. Has there ever been a spot in the band's history where you felt like you were just going through the motions? No, we ne- nothing's ever been planned or, you know, um, no, we've made all the mistakes any band could ever make, we've, which is why we ended up on uh, so many different record labels over the years. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think uh, Stiff, sorry, Stiff did two albums. Um, Chiswick, Ace did, uh, I think they did two albums. Yeah, they put up with us for two albums as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, you know, it was a, it was single album deals all, all the way, really, because, um, we, we didn't behave ourselves and, and we wouldn't do what we're told, you know. Um, they'd say, I mean, record companies say the daftest stuff, you know, you, you have a, a, a track that, a single that's reasonably successful, are they? And they they start going, oh, why don't you write another one like that? You know, he said, well, because we've done that already. You know? <laughs> exactly. We, we want to do something else now. I said, why, why do you want to do that? Because you know that's what we do. We just do what we do. We just do what we want, and who cares? We did a track on the last album, uh, which was called So So Who's Paranoid, and mm-hmm. um, the the song it was called. Um, the song's called Dark Asteroid, and uh, it goes after the the song is kind of. You know, first chorus, first chorus, uh, and it, go, it it goes into um, a fifteen-minute psychedelic, psychedelic um, freakout. But um, it, there's been nothing like it on any damned album before. You know, it was just because we we thought, well, we haven't done one of them really. So it's absolutely remarkable piece on mm. headphones. You know, it it takes you on a total musical um, adventure, it's, and and you kind of. It, you find yourself like sort of, wow, where, you know, where have I been for the last, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a mind trip. Right. <laughs> it sounds like, an, I sound like a Steve Village or something, but it is, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. On you should a, play that one, Dark Asteroid. I will play that one. I love that yeah. So Who's Paranoid record. When you, was the, um, the New Rose recording session the same session for the first album, or w- was the session for the 45 separate? No, uh, we did that in two days. We just went in this dingy studio uh, around the back, uh, back of a garage. Uh, it was just one room. It was pretty dingy and dark and uh, not, too, not too clean, with an old um, eight-track tape machine and... Um, we just banged out our set, kind of, until Nick Lowe thought he'd captured it. Uh, Nick Lowe was producing. Mm-hmm. Um, we we must have played the set about, you know, ten times. And uh, he took it from there, really. Well, uh, he spent a couple of days mixing. But it was, um, there was no special um, attention paid to New Rose. Well, we didn't know what the single was going to be. 
but help on the B side of uh, New Rose. We, yes. we knocked that out especially. It was um, the Beatles had loomed large over my generation. You know, they uh, them and their sugary pop songs about holding hands and all that nonsense. They did some good stuff as well. I don't want to be controversial. But uh, it, they were just so damn big, you know, and uh, the, the, the songs were so melodic that we thought we'd get our own back by ruining um, Help <laughs> on the B-side. And I, I deliberately detuned one of the strings on the bass. So it's actually, you know, it's quite discordant if you listen to it. Mm. Oh, the bass, the bass sounds a bit off, and that's because it is. And we don't care. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, when um, Brian left and you switched to guitar, was that when when uh, Lemmy stepped in on bass? Yeah, he. Uh, we'd all be we'd all gone off to do our solo bands. Uh, me, uh, Rat, and Dave. Brian had um, put a band together called Ten Steers and. He was doing well. He was off and running, and uh, the rest of us were kind of a bit slower off off the mark. And and we were broke as well because you know wrote, Brian had written all the songs on the first two albums, uh, pretty much, and um, he had got the publishing advances. So we were all absolutely stone broke. And uh, Rat phoned me up one day. Said, "How's your band going, Captain?" Um, and I said, "Ooh, you know." Uh, done a couple of gigs, haven't made any money, though. I'm absolutely skint. He said, look, why don't we, uh, you know, put a line up the dam back together and do a one-off gig in London uh, to make a few bob? Yeah, I said, hey, okay, okay. Um, listen, you know, without Brian, I mean, I could go back on guitar, but because I've been a guitarist in the, before I joined. And I thought, who can we get on bass? And um, so, well, we, we used to spend quite a lot of time in this pub down Portobello Road, Portobello Road and uh, Lemmy was always feeding the fruit machine in there. You know, he was always like, the way. he's called Lemmy, basically. He said, uh, do you, can, can you lend me a fiver to put in the fruit machine, you know? And uh, <laughs> we asked him and he, he immediately said yes, which was which was nice of him. <laughs> so the, the downside was you had to, well, we were kind of sleeping on his floor while we were rehearsing. And um, you had to—he would wake you up. He would play Luftwaffe videos all night. You know, he'd say, oh, "Wake up! This is a good bit." Oi, you're missing it. Oi, Captain, come on, wake up, you lazy bastard! <laughs> so, um, so you have to stay up watching his um, his World War Two films, he, which he was obsessed with. Yes. Uh, <laughs> R- rumor has it it has been said. So, was he only uh, the bass player for the Dam for those particular gigs? Couple of gigs, yeah, and then we got um, we got Algie Ward in. We needed someone with a an, an equally kind of uncompromising bass technique, mm-hmm. and uh, somebody said, "Well, you want to get Algie Ward in? He played with the Saints, and he and he he plays with a, a a metal pick, and he's got the most. You know, when when we heard it, we couldn't believe it. I mean, you listen to the intro of um, Love Song, oh yeah, and you think to yourself, "Wow, how does he get that sound? You know, he it's just incredible." So yeah, Algie was absolutely brilliant. That lineup was fantastic as well. Then we moved on to Paul Gray, you know, once again, another genius of the bass guitar. I often like laugh about it really because I, I'm probably the fifth or sixth best bass player who's ever been in the band. I've certainly come after those two, and Patricia Patricia Morrison was better than I. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Wasn't Henry Badowski in the band also? Henry was, yeah, Henry was brilliant. Yeah, he was, he was great fun as well. Uh, 
total. Uh, I mean, who who can say what the band would have done with that lineup? Right. Because Henry can really write a song, mm-hmm. and um, he's totally eccentric. Whatever um, came of him? I I speak to him occasionally. Um, he's he still uh, writes songs. But, um, he had an album uh, on A and M as well. Life is a grand. The album. Okay. It's just an amazing collection of songs, uh, and really kind of beautifully crafted, kind of cheesy eighties pop. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounds, it still sounds fresh now. Yeah, Henry, Henry's a, another pop genius, you know. So the the legacy of bass players goes and and goes and goes, and now you've got yeah, Stu is playing bass with you guys. Yeah, yeah. And we had Bryn Merrick, of course. Bryn, Bryn yes. who uh, sadly passed, passed away. Uh, not so long ago, you know, yeah. he was he was fantastic, and he presided over the possibly the most uh, successful um, period of the Damned. You know, when they had El- Eloise and um, right. Phantasmagoria and Alone Again, or and all those mm-hmm. all those other songs. That, yeah, so he was he's he's certainly a better bass player than I was. And then for you, well, what was it like for you in between your Damned stints because you had tremendous commercial success. Um, with Happy Talk, and um, were you actually just planning to, to, like, take a hiatus, or...? Yeah, I know, it's really unlikely, uh, sounding... I'm I'm not, uh, you know... I, I'm a pretty unlikely pop pop star, or I was, anyway. Um, it, it just happened that I had a bunch of really melodic tunes that were obviously inappropriate from the, for the Damned. And... Um, so I had these demos, and uh, we played them to this bloke who was in a band called New Music, uh, who'd, who'd had a couple of kind of really brilliantly crafted kind of um, 80s synth-pop hits. And he said, oh, I think I can do something with them. Um, you know, there's some downtime uh, in Mitcham around the corner. Uh, let's go down there, you know, and work through the night and knock them into shape. So we did, and, and they were sounding really good. And um, he got a record deal for me. And the next thing you know is I'm at number one in the charts <laughs> with some damned, some damned rejects, you know. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, then the, the career just went from strength to strength. And I was number one in France for seven weeks, and I was all over Europe and doing promo. And, and I was burning the candle at both ends as well. Um, you know, I'd be doing a TV, a TV in the morning in Britain and flying out to do a, a lunchtime thing in uh, Switzerland or somewhere and then back to do a gig with a damned in the evening and for a year and a half of that I was an absolute wreck you know because you know, to do that you you know you, you need the kind of um, I mean you need something to, to keep you going you need a um, staff of people and well, some good drugs yeah allegedly and <laughs> and the booze didn't help either. So um, I, I ended up emotionally exhausted to stay. found myself, at the end of that, you know, it was highly successful and really fun, but uh, I was an absolute wreck, and uh, I had to take a couple of years off, which coincided with, uh, you know, no pop career, no damn career, and, um, you know, and also the tax man sent his, his uh, inevitable bills in, found myself bankrupt oh. you know and i had a young i had a young family um we just we just started so i had young kids and um you know bailiffs banging on the door saying i'm sorry uh mr burns i'm afraid we're gonna have to repossess your house so um yeah so that, that was the end of the 80s for me it was a barrel load of laughs wow 
looking at it now, so what kind of growth did you experience from there? Well, I just carried on. Um, I, I never, you know, you don't take these things for granted that you, you know, you've got some right to be standing on stage in front of thousands of people. And uh, so I started playing in the pub around the corner and, you know, just getting by any way you can, really. I seem to remember them being really happy times as well. You just get through, don't you, whatever. So what matters to you outside of music? I just love to travel, um, and I'm a bit of a foodie, well, a lot of a foodie, let's, let's tell the truth here. We go, me and uh, Mrs. Sensible, we go off to Italy and uh, Germany, we love we love uh, south, south of Germany, Bavaria and that, and we, we go down sampling the wheat beers, and um, down to Salzburg, and uh, singing the sound of music, <laughs> as, as, as you as you're walking through the, the park, you know, um, sozzled on wheat beer. It's just really fun. And uh, in Italy, of course, you know, we go down to Napoli and we eat, you know, original, the original pizzas. You know, there's really kind of really thin crust, kind of a little works of art that can come out of the, um, the, the ovens. And yes. uh, they just throw the ingredients on. It's, you know, it's not, yeah, every, um, pizza that comes out of these ovens is like a completely different shape you know some of them are really contorted some of them you know uh, uh, scorched at the sides or whatever and and you know it's not precise art you know it's just but but that's the great thing about uh, naples pizza it's you know it's just rough and ready and but it's the best in the world so it is yeah, we go down there in portugal we go over there to eat the uh, pasta donatas which is a custard tart um, they, they specialise in cakes in Portugal. Hmm. The beer's not very good, but the wine's fantastic. And you, you can get a litre of wine for like sort of, you know, um, I mean, 50, 50 cents or something. Nice. Uh, you can't complain about that, can you? Yeah, we, we just love to travel. That's what we do. When we're not travelling, I'm gigging. <laughs> What's your favourite pizza topping, Captain Sensible? I think, I think less is more, you know. And I just like a mar- margarita or something, and sometimes with an egg cracked on the top. Um, or uh, just some basilica. Yeah, really kind of minimal stuff. We, you know, we all know the, the chain pizza restaurants, you know, that, that throw so many toppings on. You know, it looks, you don't, don't know what flavors you're tasting. Yeah, less is more with pizza. Mm. Is there any food, when you come to the U.S., is there anything that you seek out? Any restaurants or New York or L.A. traditional food or anything? I was a vegetarian. It used to be really difficult in the States, but um, pe- people are discovering that sort of thing through, you know, the health food side of life. But um, but really, I just go to... The, I mean, I, what is really remarkable about the States is the way that beer has come on. I remember 40 years ago, when I came out to do a tour, I would pack my suitcases with cans and cans and cans of British beer. And, uh, really? you know, I just couldn't... Yeah, I did. It was so heavy. I mean, those were the days when you could... You know, there was no weight restrictions, uh-huh. um, you know, when you when you flew anywhere. I mean, they were... Can you imagine? Everyone used to, you know, take loads of... You know, take whatever you want, you know, and if you took five suitcases, it didn't cost you any more. Right. As soon as you got on the plane, you, you'd, you'd smoke a pack, packet of cigarettes, then you... <laughs> you know, you... <laughs> It was just amazing, um, you know, how how uh, how crazy it was. I mean, because everyone breathes that air in, don't they? 
Yes. It's not going to go anywhere. So the smoking zone and the non-smoking zone doesn't mean anything, does it? No. But um, but anyway, but the beer has really changed in America so much for the better, you know, with this craft beer thing. I know it's, you know, you could accuse it of being a bit, you know, poncy or whatever, but but it tastes so darn good, especially compared to, like, Bud Light or Miller or Coors or Schlitz or whatever we had to drink before, um, you know, about 10 or 15 years ago. So, yeah, I don't have to bring my own beer now, and that's absolutely fantastic. I go down to craft beer place, wherever you are, but, uh, you know, and um, I order, you know, a, a tray of, like, sort of, you know, um, sampler tray, and um, whichever one I like best, I'll, I'll have a, a few pints of. Mm. Yeah, it's nice now. Yeah. And then that's the, uh, is that one of the requests that you have for backstage also? We do. We have local brews, yeah, local IPAs on the rider, yeah. And maybe if they, if, if they can find them some uh, stouts, a chocolate porter or a, a coffee stout or something would be nice. Last time I saw you guys, I guess it was a couple of years ago, and you DJed after the Irving Plaza show. Is that something that you're planning to do again? I am, yeah. I'm, I'm DJing down uh, the beauty bar uh, once again after the first night. Uh, after the, um, the Gramercy, the first night, I'm rushing str- straight off to, uh, to play some of my favorite uh, glam and punk songs. It's, it's, uh, I, I just love, I love glam rock. I mean, you know, it's no surprise. I mean, that's where my wacky image came from, I guess. I mean, you know, when you were sitting at home practicing, you, you know, in 1974, and you, you thought, oh, you know, I can't, can't wait till I'm on stage doing, you know, what what my heroes are doing. And your heroes were the, the bands that were famous at the time, which were glam rock bands, you know, Slade and Status Quo and Sweet and T-Rex and, you know, and stuff like that. So I, I imagined that, um, you know, by the time I ended up in a band it would be a glam rock band how wrong was i <laughs> but the thing is punk and glam don't sound too much different it's got that glorious 70s sound to it if you didn't know if you played a couple of punk songs you know from 77 um back to back with a couple of glam songs from 74 maybe you know uh, come on feel the noise by slade or you know ball and blitz by the suite and then like into the valley by um the skids, the skids. Mm-hmm. and uh and then um something by the buzzcocks you know uh, ever falling in love you know and if you play those four tracks together um to uh you know a youngster and said you know um you know pick out the punk songs they wouldn't you can't really tell the difference so it just makes for a really good fun um dj uh, um this disco experience, I think. Didn't you guys yeah. open for T Rex? We did, yeah. What was yeah, that? Mark like? was, well, we got him at a good time when he'd been through his superstar phase and um, he was uh, kind of having a comeback, if you like. Mm. And uh, he, he wasn't, he, he, was a, he was a bit more humble. So he was really nice and approachable. In fact, he picked us. Um, he saw a picture of me wearing a T Rex T shirt, and um, he, you know, the punk thing was like sort of. It was obviously this new, uh, you know, this thing was here to stay, and he was shrewd enough to um, grab himself a punk rock band as his support act, <laughs> and he chose us because because uh, because I was wearing his one of his T shirts, but he was really nice to us. He paid for our hotels and 
uh, we travelled on the same um, tour bus as him wow. and his band, and um, you know we just used to mingle, and it was just a really um, joyous experience, especially for a T Rex fan. You know, yeah. he, he really looked after us. He, he'd give us advice and tell us, you know, things about studios and you know songwriting and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he, it was really, uh, really, really helpful. Yeah, really, really good bloke. Oh, that's a wonderful memory. Wow. I'm hearing you smiling while you're talking about Mark Boland. Do you have any other recollections of somebody who gave you advice that you that really made a difference to you? You know, back in those days when punk was new and uh, not everybody liked it, you know, it was it was really nice for people like Mark Boland and um, Phil Linnett from Thin Lizzy mm-hmm. um, and Lemmy and uh, and a couple of others. You know, it was really nice for them to, you know, come down and I mean Phil Linnett used to lend me his bass guitar if um, if I broke a string or something I never had any spares because you know I wasn't I wasn't that together so you know some, some of the old guard really dug punk you know and they, they could see it was uh, similar to maybe what you know there was nothing really that radically different and we were all like sort of you know musical pirates aren't we basically mm-hmm. the Rolling Stones sent us cakes didn't they when we uh, when we did our first gig in uh, New York, uh, I think Keith Richards arranged for, um, <laughs> for they sent a few cakes down and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a couple of a couple of strumpets to, uh, to bring them into the dressing room, which was very nice of him. Did you actually eat them or smash them? Oh, well, we probably ate some of it. You know, mm-hmm. the rest of it probably went flying. Yeah. Well, um, which has me, of, of course, bring to mind the first LP, uh, the pie shoot and uh, and the the poster. They play it at your sister. Whose idea was that to just smash each other with with pies? Absolutely no idea. It certainly wasn't mine because when I um, when they told me we were making an album, I thought, oh, that's nice, you know. Your ambition as a young musician is to make an album, and you know I wasn't as confident as maybe I should have been that we would have lasted um, longer than one record. I mean, we we lasted forty years after all, you know. But I want I thought well this might be the only record I ever make, so at least I want a nice picture of me on the front cover. <laughs> I can show my auntie Sadie up in Glasgow, you know, and say, look, auntie, uh, I did actually make a record. Um, so you know when they covered us with. Um, cakes and all that dunge and everything the, the, the studio I think it was uh, it was Brian's girlfriend's idea uh, it wasn't even the record label's idea mm. so um, you know so I saw the front cover and I was like yeah pretty dramatic stuff you can't actually see my face right and then I turned it over and I saw the back the picture on the back I had my back turned to the camera yes so it's a, it's a live shot on the back cover so uh, I was really angry I said no 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 I've got to do something about this. So uh, the bloke putting the um, cover together, he sent me off to Paddington Station with a with a pound, and said, "Look, get yourself uh, some passport photos." And they cut one of them out and put it on the back cover, uh, on the side of one of the stage monitors. Right, exactly. So that's why uh-huh. that little that's why that little picture's there because um, <laughs> I was so I was so distraught that you can't see my face on the on the record screen. 
I love so you that. can now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. So, so, so were there were no were there stylists in there like pushing the frosting around on your head and stuff or? No, it's just uh, just Brian's girlfriend was just like going for it. <laughs> uh, it was really. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really uh, there was shaving foam in there. I think some baked beans, mm. uh, some the cake uh, flans that, that the, um, the the guns went in. They were quite tasty, but you know the the shaving foam was not too good. Right, right. <laughs> I can imagine. Hey, on your um, you have a a pledge music page where um, you offered up some Skype guitar lessons. Have you done those yet? No, not yet. No, um, I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't know how to do this um, pledge thing. Um, mm-hmm. When they get in touch with me, I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. Yeah, I'm just gonna, you know. I mean, me giving guitar lessons. I mean, I'm a bluffer. Let's face it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, <laughs> been getting away with it for years. I just throw, just throw my fingers around, you know, and hope some of the right notes come out. Mm-hmm. But um, if people, if people you know, have pledged to, um, to have a guitarist, and I'll just show them whatever they, you know, any track they want to know how to play or whatever. And, or, but, you know, I, I, I don't know any scales. I've never had a guitar lesson myself. Mm. It's all like sort of, you know, um, as I said, bluff. And I just listen to, uh, I listen to a lot of Jimi Hendrix and um, the Groundhogs and, uh, you know, some of the early 70s, you know, um, Sabbath and stuff like that and some of it kind of you know got in my head and stayed there and you know but it's not I don't know I couldn't tell you uh, the scales no idea so it's going to be interesting doing the guitar lessons and, but yeah you just throw your fingers around you know um, <laughs> <laughs> no damned cover bands coming out of those lessons right away <laughs> And um, so then back to your the 40th anniversary, uh, your retrospective career spanning sets the um, the Brighton Museum. Um, you're contributing an outfit and a guitar for the photo punk exhibition. Yeah, I've given them the guitar. They've got it. Um, it's the, the oldest one I've, I've got. And it's really kind of a. But amazing, it's amazing that it's still in one piece because it's been set on fire and attacked with an axe. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just really beaten up. And it's, the scratch plate, you know, is broken and the pickups have been changed. And Yeah, it's just a, it's a wreck, but it actually still plays, you know. And it's it's got, like, sort of cartoons of, I, I think there's one, uh, one on the back of, of me uh, saying Cliff Richard is <laughs> if I... Re- Remember correctly. Uh, <laughs> so it's just covered with slogans and rubbish like that. Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, and and uh, one of my furry outfits. Um, oh, nice. Which probably pop, probably pongs a bit because uh, yeah, I don't think it's been washed for thirty years. Yeah. But it's funny, isn't it, to be in a museum? Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's, well, it's all it's all a celebration, and it's all I like to think of it as a as sort of like a a worldwide thank you, you know, to the accomplishments mm. that that you guys have made, even though it's it's clear and from talking to you and just from seeing 
um, I think the band's demeanor over the years that that you were not planning on world domination or anything yeah. like it. It was just sort of like, well, let's see what happens, you know. And I and I just love the spirit that it seems that you guys operate within, having fun and and uh, entertaining, and really, in it, you've transformed modern music as a byproduct of of having fun and uh, being vivacious and unique. You guys are just an amazing band and an amazing live. I think that all, all your shows are sold out, the New York and the uh, L.A. shows, aren't they? Yeah, kind of. All those accolades by me. Thank you very much. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're just blundering through somehow. And, um, you know, it, no, it's, it's fun, and I, I really enjoy it. Well, you've been wandering through for 40 years, you know. So I get to say thank you to you for, for everybody else. Your music is, is wonderful. You stand wildly for what can be. Like, you can have fun up here. This is what it's all about, you know. And I just, I just love seeing that and seeing you perform. And, uh, yeah, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's um, yeah, <laughs> and also the the fun, you, the fun thing really. I mean, I just never understood these bands. You know, they take themselves seriously, and you know, and you, you know, yeah, even like rock gods or something like that is absolute nonsense. And like sort of, you know, giving it the cool thing in front of the camera and like you know, uh, where's my minders and my limousine and all that. It's just nonsense, you know. It's just unnecessary. They're just people like sort of twanging the guitar or whatever. You know, they're nothing special. It doesn't make it doesn't make you any different from any other human being on the planet. You know, a bloke who, you know, who changes the who fixes the tap in your bathroom. You know, I mean, if he does a good job, then he's, he's as good as his job as you are. Maybe, uh, you know, writing a song, but it doesn't make you any better as a human being, does it? I mean, I always felt kind of it's part of our job, really. To, uh, to be the antidote to all that kind of pompousness. That, um, you guys have the right spirit, creating in the moment and uh, having fun and really being there for the audience. You're one of the most entertaining bands and always great live, you know, with whatever lineup. That's one thing that I've seen that you have always really, really stood for. It's like entertainment mm. at, it, at, its, at its best. You do, you yeah. do a oh. good job. Olvanian can certainly sing, you know, he's, he's still got it. He, he's uh, probably the best, you know, singer of his generation, really. You know, it's really nice as a um, songwriter to, you know, to get in the studio and after you've done your feeble attempt at the demo, you know, where, where I, I sing it myself, you know, and then you hear a proper singer kind of um, doing his interpretation of it. And uh, it's always like, I, I you know, I was, I stay on the other side of the screen, you know, sort of, it just makes you feel real good, you know. You're really lucky to have a decent singer in your band. And you had mentioned earlier that Brian wrote everything on the first two records, so were you surprising yourselves after he wasn't in the band, like, oh, we could, we, we can do this? Yeah. Yeah, we were expected to, uh, you know, fade away and disappear uh, without our glorious leader at the controls. Amazingly, we discovered we could all write. You know, Dave could write, I could write, and so could Rat. Yeah. So um, it was a surprise to us as much as anyone else. And um, 
Surprise! Yeah, there's, a lot, there's, a, there's a lot more musical and uh, music in this band than you know um, we were given credit for, really. and we, and and a lot to say as well. We had we had plenty to say, and still have. Um, you know, still we, we're going to do something um, completely different uh, next year musically. Um, we're going to uh, on this this album that we've uh, we've just started um, writing. Do you have a working yeah, title for it? No, no, no. But it's but it's um, it's another one. We're going to dare to be different once again. Each cool. one, each album's got to sound different. It's still, it's still have elements of the damned in there. You know, it, it'll have its kick-ass moments and 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 you know, it's dark tinges and an element of psychedelia and like sort of a bit of freak beat in there. But you know, there'll be a few surprises. Awesome. When you said now for something completely different. Was was it um, deliberate that you got somebody that looked like John Cleese in the, your uh, what video? <laughs> no, he, he just did um, the uh, uptight hotel manager better than any kind of piss take I've ever seen. That's a faulty. Um, yeah, oh, it's just perfect because I've stayed in so many hotels in in so many countries where the proprietor has been exactly like that. You know, when you you know. <laughs> You can you complain about something. That that just that that kind of thing was just perfect for uh, the what video because it's a true story. The what thing. I was up, I'd been up all night drinking. I I hold my hands up. Uh, tell the truth. I I I'd kept the bar going till about six or seven in the morning. I thought to myself, crikey, if I don't get some sleep now, you know, um, I'm gonna, you know that. The tour manager's going to be banging on my door at 10.30 to, to get in the van, you know, to get to the next gig. So I went up, jumped into bed, and no sooner my head hit the pillow than a building site across the road um, started up and this bloody noise erupted, you know, this pile driver. It was just incessant. Uh, you know, I stuck my head under the pillow. It didn't work. And I, I, so I called reception, but to no avail. That's why I'm telling you, you know, and it, and it became the... The song, the song wrote itself, basically, and that was the same. I actually recorded the sound of the car driver on my recording Walkman. Really? That Walkman. I took it down to the reception, and I, 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 I said, "Get me the manager," you know. And this bloke comes out, a bit like Basil Fawlty, put the cassette player up to his ear. I said, "Listen to this," and I played him the car driver, and, I, and he said, "Well, you shouldn't have been up drinking all night, should you?" <laughs> Something like that. So yeah. he, he had a point, I suppose. But um, anyway, so yeah, you get back to Britain. I played the uh, recording of the Pile Driver to the producer, and we made that song out of it. So out of that kind of crazy story and that kind of jokey kind of song, it was my most successful song um, ever, really. So that was the one that was number one in seven weeks in, in Paris, in France. So. You never know that some of the some of the tunes I wrote that I spent weeks and weeks on. Um, you know, nobody knows. So you never know what's going to be successful and what's not. Really. Right. What's your favorite damn song? Oh, uh, at the moment I like a song called Ignite. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's that's really fun. I remember they borrowed a, a Fender Stratocaster for for that one, and um, I didn't like it because the volume control is right next to the uh, pickups on a Fender Strat, so um, I kept, like, sort of inadvertently um, turning the volume off mid-solo, so I'd keep retaking and retaking. 
I've always loathed and detested uh, Stratocasters but they, for, for that reason. But they sound great, but um, you'd need to completely redesign one to, uh, to, to, to get them to be playable for an SG uh, man like myself. Whose idea was it to do the scratch and sniff strawberry insert on uh, that LP that Bronze put out? Oh, that, that came from the song title, uh, from the album title, um, Strawberries, which is an abbreviation of a strawberries for pigs or giving strawberries to a pig, um, which was basically, I mean, we, we played some of those songs uh, and some, some new material, and uh, we, we got a bit of a slagging from uh, one or two of the British music journalists who thought we were kind of um, being a bit adventurous for a punk group, you know. Hmm. I mean, yeah, it depends on your interpretation of punk. If if your if your idea of punk is like sort of you just play one dimensional kind of you know three chord songs, you know, lasting two minutes uh, about you know all, all sound the same for the rest of your career, then sure we weren't punk rock anymore. But that wasn't my interpretation of punk, which was to be as adventurous as you possibly could with like sort of the resources that you had, you know, to, mm. to make something special every time to, you know, to, to, to be the best you possibly can be. And, um, you know, and the fashion was the same. You, you know, none of us had any money. You'd go down a charity shop and you'd get like, an old suit or something. And, you know, you'd cut the sleeve off and you'd put something else in it or you'd safety pin it up and, you know, you'd, you'd mix and match like sort of really unlikely bits of clothing and put these out uh, these, these stupendous outfits together that you'd wear down the Roxy Club or or whatever and you know that was that was the great thing about punk you you didn't need money to you, you just needed a bit of creativity so mm-hmm. so don't tell me to dumb down I won't do it for anybody you know and I, I don't believe I don't believe that is punk anyway you know so anyway we were doing these um these more adventurous kind of tunes and we got a bit of a slag in, so we, we decided to call uh, the album Giving Strawberries to a Pig. <laughs> uh, but we abbreviated it because it was yeah, a bit of a mouthful. So that's where the, uh, the strawberry scent came from. Some people have got albums that still smell of strawberries as well. Mine does. Kind of nice. Does I'm, it really? Yeah, it does. I mean, not, you have to know that it was there and to kind of look for it with your nose, but it's, it is there. I took it out yesterday just to check it out. And I did, and I looked at the Matrix and it and scrawled onto the matrix one side side it says strawberries and the other one it says for pigs. Right. Oh right. Okay. I that, didn't know that. I didn't know that had that on. Now I have to dig mine out and have a look. Yeah. Do you still collect vinyl? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I do. And I find myself um, because I've worn out a few records over the years. But you know, you come back from the pub and maybe you you know you scratch a record or something. I'd like to have really pristine copies and. You know, f- uh, first editions and stuff, uh, first pressings. So um, I do spend more than I should on uh, vinyl, but I, but my, I've still got the same record collection that I had. You know, uh, which spans between about '65 and 1985. For, for me, though, you know, everyone loves the music they grew up with, basically. And uh, but I've just, uh, I've just renewed some, and you know, just bought better versions. Uh, over the years, so nice. I, I do always look on the lookout for a really beautiful, like sort of first press. Congratulations, I guess we say congratulations on an anniversary, 40th anniversary of uh, New Rose. Oh right, it's really strange because I, you know, uh, I just find it interviews really, um, you know, I, I don't never talk about myself or, or if you know, sort of like sort of you know, weeks and weeks, and then 
because this uh, anniversary of New Rose is coming up, you have to, you know, it's like, get, I mean, in the nicest possible way, it's like getting dragged through a hedge backwards <laughs> because you, you go through all these memories Mm. And uh, and some of them are really intense, and you know, I mean, go, flashing through my mind is all the pictures of you know when I mentioned the punch-ups in the studio, and uh, you know, and um, sleeping on people's floors in you know 1976, you know, and uh, so it was yeah, sleeping on levees. So I mean, I mean, uh, the pictures all flood back to me, you know. Right. Um, and you know, as soon as I put the phone down now, I'll be. Um, you won't know where you are. I have to come back. Yeah, exactly. I have to come back to reality, and, uh, you know. And um, well, thank you for getting a look into Captain Sensible's time machine. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm particularly looking forward to the DJing as well, because it's really, you know, the because um, once, you know, once we've done the gig and that, you know, it's, uh, all the pressure's off. You can go down and uh, just let your hair down and play some crazy punk and glam. There you go. And get some get some T-Rex going. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for talking to us. And uh, congratulations. And have a great few shows. And thank you for everything that you have. Saying that you've done for music sounds a little bit grandiose. But, but um, there, really, there really has been a shift in, in what we listen to now because of your contribution. So I do want to thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't quite get rid of Phil Collins, but we had a good go. Anyway, <laughs> cheers. Nice, nice to talk to you, Diane. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. Have a All good right, day. Bye. bye. And that wraps it up. Diane Kamikaze for WFMU. Thanks to Captain Sensible. Thanks to Joe Murray for arranging the interview. Support the damned in any way possible. Support WFMU in any way possible. All the info can be found on WFMU.org.